Thanks, man. <laughs> awesome. Lord, we just invite you to come be with us tonight, God. We invite you to, to speak to our hearts, Lord. God, I ask that right now that, um, that you would just, like, disable every single thing that would come against us, Lord, that any distraction would turn off in Jesus' name, that even our phones would turn to airplane mode magically, God, uh, that, that you would just do whatever you can, Lord, uh, angels around us, Lord, um, and that you would be with us during this time. We love you, Lord, and in your name, amen. So the reason I pray that is because tonight we are talking about distractions. And um, this has probably been the most distracted message I've ever been trying to prepare. It's like, it's ridiculous. Like, I'd be starting to work, and then my phone would be going crazy. I had to turn my phone on airplane mode, finally. Or I'd go to go to a, a coffee shop, and then the internet would go down, or like, all these just different things would happen, right? Because I was like trying to prepare this word on like pushing through distractions. And, and all this stuff kept hit, hitting me. So, but real quick, um, I feel like I know majority of everyone here. Small family group tonight. I love it. Uh, and so you guys might have actually seen this, but um, for those who kind of know me or not, Dominic and I, we like to think we're funny people. Uh, we, 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 we tend to laugh at ourselves probably harder than, than most people would. Um, and so anyway, we had this idea one time, uh, him and I, and you guys know George? Yeah, you guys know George? And so we were hanging out one time at Dominic's house, and Basically, we were just sitting there, just bored, doing bored stuff. And I had this random question come to my head that was just like, and I just said it out loud. I was like, guys, what happens when you microwave an egg? And, I, and, there was an, and, and they're like, well, it cooks. I'm like, no, like in the shell, like pull it out of the fridge, put it in the shell and push go. Like, do, do you get a hard-boiled egg? Like, what happens, you know? And, and so one of them was like, I think it just cooks, like normal. And then another person was like, I don't think it'll work. And I think Dominic was probably the smart one in the group. He was like, I think it blows up. And we're like, mm, no, that can't be the answer. That's not going to happen. And so basically, we were like, hey, Mrs. Groves, because we are at his mom's house. We're like, can we put an egg in the microwave? And, she, and we just hear her from far away, like, as long as you clean up, whatever happens, you can do whatever you want. We're like, all right, cool. So we go in there. We put an egg put an egg in there. And then we have this other thought of, so we don't know what's going to happen. Let's film it and we'll become YouTube sensations. <laughs> like this whole thought, like where it's going to go viral. We're going to be famous, like all this stuff. Right. And so we put it in and we're filming it. You can watch this video. It's on Facebook. We're filming it and we're sitting there and almost, almost a minute goes by and nothing's happening. And we're just like, what? did we do something wrong? I guess it's just cooking on the inside. Like, that's weird. And so we get closer and closer, and I have the camera all the way up to the little, like, little filter to, like, look inside of it. And, and, and I'm looking, and we're sitting there, and it was at, like, a minute 10 or something like that. I don't know. But all of a sudden, we're like, all right, I was in the middle of a sentence. And I was like, is something, is something going to happen? Then boom, and it blew up, and the thing just bursted all over the whole microwave shook. It sounded like a little bomb went off inside of our microwave. And we just, were, you hear us on the thing, we're like, oh, wow, what's going on? Oh! And we just like scream as it, as it goes crazy. And then we open up the door and bits of like cooked egg are like sliding down the side of the door and it smells like that, like egg fumes just come out of the thing. And you're like, whoa. And then we just look at Kevin we're like, that's how you cook an egg in a microwave, apparently. And so we, I learned a couple things that night. Uh, one, what happens to an egg when you cook it in the microwave. Um, 
And that apparently there's certain things in life that you're not supposed to microwave, okay? And then two, it's a lot harder to become a YouTube sensation than I thought it was because nobody watched the video. We actually had two people come up to us on Sunday morning and just be like, you're weird. And we're like, was it funny? They're like, you're weird. And they just walked away. And we're like, oh, oh, all right. Well, we're funny, Dominic. We know we're funny. And so basically, the point is, guys, is how many times do we do this in our life where we basically think everything is microwavable? I grew up and everything was microwavable, right? That, that's just what we did. We put everything inside of the microwave and that's how I lived. That's how we cooked. I didn't even know how to really use a stovetop. <laughs> like it was just everything you put in the microwave, push a couple minutes. If that didn't work, add one more minute and do it again, you know? And then you just pull it out when it's warm enough, right? And so basically we do this in our life though. We have totally become a microwave generation where we basically, we just sit there and we like read one Bible verse and we're like, huh, cool. How come I'm totally not transformed and different? You know, like, what? Why? How come it's not? Or like, someone will preach a word on healing. We pray for one person and it didn't work. And then we're like, well, hey, I guess God doesn't heal. What's up with that? You know? And it's like, wait a second. No. Like, there's a process to some things. Like, there's some things in life you cannot just throw into the microwave. Like, you have to go through the process of transformation for it, okay? And so what happens, guys, is I think our generation, and who I don't know, maybe you guys are with me, we're told, like, we can't stand commercials anymore. Like, we can't stand anything. We, can, we don't even want to go to the movie. Like, we don't even want to go down. Blockbuster went out of business because now we just get it on our TV and Netflix it, right? Like, like we don't even want to drive five minutes to pick up a video. So we just stream it online, you know? And then if, if, if it's like too long internet, then we just go and we complain until we get faster internet, right? So we do whatever we can just to get this instant gratification of like, I need what I want right now right? And, and so what happens, I think it's created, it's in a lot of stuff, but in our generation, guys, I really think it has created this, this group of people that we always have to be stimulated by something, like all the time. We always have to be, something's got to be stimulating me. Uh, I work as a, um, a server at Olive Garden, okay? And there's times where families will come in, and they'll basically order, right? And they sit there on their family dinner, and Every single one of them is on their phone the entire time, looking at their phones, not talking to each other. And this is today's equivalent of a family dinner, is everyone sitting there on their phones, checking their Instagram and their Facebook, and looking through everything. And then like, I bring the food over, I'm like, hey, your food's here. And they're like, oh yeah, just put it down. And then they just keep looking. And it's like, all right, like, that's crazy. Like, our family meals now are completely impacted by, by social media or by this idea of I have to be stimulated by something right now. And it's created this, like, I think, it, seriously, if you want to see people get mad, take their phones away from them. Like, they flip out. <laughs> like, people go crazy. Or tell them they cannot go on the internet and you won't give them the internet password. People, like, freak out. It's crazy. So basically, we have this society that I think has become, since we're demanding to be stimulated at all times, I think that we have really honestly become like the most distracted generation that's ever lived. I mean, I'm sure every generation can make their argument as to why they win as the most distracted generation, but I really think our generation is more distracted than any generation that's lived before us because we have a constant, constant just barraging of just like 
thing after thing after thing after thing after thing. Like someone's like notification from Facebook, notification from Instagram. Oh, look, another Snapchat. Oh, look, like Pinterest is something on Pinterest. Oh, look, another group message. Oh, my text messaging is going off all the time because of a group message I'm in. Or you know what I mean? Like, like have you guys felt like this before? Where every second there's something happening on your phone and you sit there and you try to do a Debo time and you're like, Jesus, and you're trying to pray, and every second it's like, and you're like, pick it up, and then you respond back to it, and then you put it back down, and then you're like, Jesus, I, okay, Jesus, <laughs> like, it is like, and like, this is how, and then an hour goes by, we spent maybe five minutes with Jesus out of that hour, and then we're like, good Devo time, and then we get up and we leave, and we stay connected to our phones the entire time, and so basically, I have some facts that I think are just chilling to me. Like, I'm just, oh man, I can't believe this is real. So the Gallup report, if you guys know the Gallup, they do a whole bunch of reports and stuff. Um, They basically figured out the average American works 46.7 hours in a week, okay? That's a lot of time. Then the average college student is whatever classes you're in, plus another 17 hours of studying outside of class. That's a lot of time right there, okay? That, you can do that, and then just eat and sleep, and that's your, that's your whole day. Like, that's pretty much everything right there, right? But no, on top of that, there was a study done where they interviewed uh, 2,600 people from the ages of 8 to 18, so young kids to young adult, right? They found that somehow, I don't know how they're doing this, it's a, it's a miracle, kids are spending nine hours a day on social media of some sort. So whether it's Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, whatever it is, right? YouTube, whatever's going on, right? Okay, nine hours a day on social media. On top of that, it says that usually four and a half of those hours are spent on smartphones. The average person spends four and a half hours a day using their smartphone, and that is not including text messaging or, or on the phone, okay? Then it says the average American watches five hours of TV every single day. And once you hit the age of 50, the average number goes up to seven hours a day because people are like retired and stuff. And so they watch more TV, right? And they're doing this. If you add up the numbers, it's more than 24. So the question is, how do you get that when there's only 24 hours a day? Because they're multitasking. We're on Facebook as we're watching TV, as we're, you know, doing all these things. It says right here, another study said 75% of people are listening to music and text messaging and on social media as they're doing their work or their homework. And I know all you guys are like, that's not me. When I'm at my work, I'm at my work. Yeah, sure, sure you are. Like, I work at Olive Garden. Everyone goes to the corner where they're, like, filling up drinks, and then they pull out their phone and are, like, looking on <laughs> Facebook. And then the drinks, the drink fills up, and they put it back down, and they go again. Like, and you guys know you do this. Come on. Everyone does this. Okay, so the, this study shows that we are exposed to around 5,000 advertisements and messages every single day. That doesn't mean that you see them all. That's not you're like, one, two, three, four, five, like counting. That's like just around your life, all around you. There's 5,000 messages coming at you every day saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, buy me, buy this one. This one's the next best thing. No, this one's better than that guy who says he's the next best thing. I'm the next best thing. Like, and everyone is competing for your attention. Like now you even, you'll go on Facebook and there's all these messages. And then on the side, it's like Amazon somehow has been stalking you and they 
they know exactly what you want to buy and they have it all right there on the side, right? And then you get distracted and then you're trying to do homework and then three hours later, you're like, I haven't done any homework and I just wasted all this time watching funny YouTube videos, right? And so basically, guys, we have become this generation that is so completely distracted, right? Uh, this guy, the guy who did the report, his name's James Steyer, uh, it says, this shows... It shows you that these kids live in a massive 24-7 digital media technology world, and it's shaping every aspect of their life. They spend far more time with media technology than any other thing in life. This is the dominant intermediary in their life. And so, not that... Not that this stuff is bad. I like Facebook as much as the next person. You know, Snapchat, I think it's hilarious. You know, like, like I love this stuff. But the problem is, when you're spending nine hours a day on it, there's a point where it's like, okay, man, you need to cut the cord a little bit. Like, <laughs> like back up, okay? So, because check this out. This is to me where I'm like, oh, no. Okay. This is a study done by the American Bible Organization. They found that 88% of Americans own a Bible. Like, that's all, that was actually way more than I thought. I was like, okay, that's a solid B+. Plus. Way to go, America, you know? But basically, 26% of them say that they have never read the Bible. Another 20% say they read it zero to two times a year. Like, and that's not read the whole Bible two times a year. That's like, like I dropped it and I accidentally read a verse because I was picking it back up, <laughs> you know? Like, like that, right? It, like, accidentally two times a year, I read, I read a verse. Okay. So that makes up for 46% of those 88% right there. Okay. It says, so only 53% of people who own this Bible read it more than three to four times a year, a year. Like that's crazy. That's like me. Like I said, accidentally opened my phone and it's on the U version Bible app and I catch the verse of the day. Like, but that happens only four times in the whole year. Like that is crazy, okay? So then only 15% of people read their Bible daily. And it says that another 9% read it once a week. About. Okay. Five hours of TV a day, three to four times a year is the reading the Bible, is the average statistic. Okay. Nine hours a day on social media is the average. I know that's not you guys. We're talking about the average outside of this church, of course. This is, this is like you guys are nine hours a day reading the Bible. I get that, okay? So nine hours a day of social media, like three times maybe a year reading the Bible. This is terrifying to me. Like, this is crazy. Check this out. Now, let's go into the prayer life. Oh, man. Okay. Okay. 87% of Christians say that prayer is one of the most important things in our life. I would say that. Like, I'd be like, who in here believes that they, yeah, totally, and you should raise your hand. If not, you're wrong. You know, like, raise your, like, prayer is important, right? Okay. So, 31%, though, say they actually make time to pray every day. 60% say that if they do pray, uh, it's on the move. Like, it's like they're running and they're like, oh God, help me get to work. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like they're praying as they're going. Okay. And it says that the average pastor, this is the leaders of our generation, right? In, in different churches and th- the ones teaching says that they spend on average 30 minutes a day in prayer. Okay. And this is the others that are less than average are about 10 to 15 minutes a day in prayer. Okay. They, but it says they spend about six hours um, a week doing their sermons, and it says three hours a day watching TV. 
and yet 30 minutes a day in prayer. This is crazy to me. Once again, the comparison is like, if you, if you spend 30 minutes a day in prayer, that's three and a half hours a week in prayer. That's okay. There you go. There's that. Nine hours a day on social media. Like, this is a huge difference. Like, can you guys, are you guys with me in saying that, like, we, as a generation, we're a little bit distracted? We have our priorities maybe a little bit backwards. I love YouTube as much as the next person, but we're a little backwards on our priorities right now. Can you guys admit that? Am I safe in saying that right now? I don't need a statistic about that, right? <laughs> like, that's pretty good. Okay. Like, sometimes I feel like the picture I got when I did this is just straight up, maybe it's because I just love. Pixar, but I saw, I totally saw this picture of Woody, like, smacking Buzz, and he's like, you are a toy, like, wake up, you know, like, I feel like God wants to pick us up and smack us and be like, wake up, like, like, stop believing that you're just an American, or you're just this society thing, or you're just a college student, or you're just a worker, like, you are a son, you are a daughter, you have a mission as a Christian, wake up, like, (laughs) smacking us around, like, you are my son, you're not what the world says you are in that itty-bitty little box they put you in that says astronaut on it, like, you're so much more than that, right, And, and so we need to wake up and realize who God says we are and what we're called to do. I believe that there's things that are meant to happen throughout the city that aren't happening because the leaders called to do them are sitting there on their Facebook or on their Instagram or watching TV or or doing something else besides what God has called them to do. I I think that there needs to be a wake-up call to this generation. I think you guys are the ones to do it. I, I really think that this is a core group of people her willing to say, okay, God, like, I don't want to be distracted anymore. Wake me up. Wake me up, God. And, and so go ahead and uh, turn, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Song of Solomon 1.6. Uh, a little backstory is basically that there's this story. This is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Um, this book, it's about this woman. Uh, the, she's a Shulamite woman. It's just the, like, kind of ethnicity. It's a name for kind of who she is. And she basically is in love with this guy uh, where the predominant theory is that it's King Solomon himself, the king. There's another theory that he's like a shepherd. Um, But either way, he's seen as like this perfect, ideal person. Um, And and basically, it's the story of this man and this woman falling in love and and walking through kind of as their love matures, right? And basically, the predominant theory throughout the ages is that this actually was an analogy for Jesus and his church. The idea that it's only a husband and wife and not God and church is only about 150 years old. And before that, there's even Jewish rabbis who teach this is God in Israel. So this is like, like, so my theory is that it's both and. <laughs> that if you have a perfect relationship, it's going to look like Jesus and his church, right? So it's both and, right? And so basically this woman here, she, uh, she struggles a lot with thinking she's not good enough because she says she works in the fields and he's this like perfect king shepherd, right? And so basically that's the context as, as we step into this verse. So this verse right here, she's talking to him and she says, do not stare at me because I'm dark. The sun has darkened my skin. Back then, uh, beauty was so opposite. Nowadays, everyone's like, I want to be tan back then. And like, I want to be skinny. Back then, it was like, 
if you were skinny and tan, that showed that you worked in the fields and you were poor, right? And so beauty were people who were very pale because it showed that they were inside. And if they were, if they were a little heftier <laughs> or whatever, like it shows that they ate a lot so they were rich. So beauty was actually total opposite of what we find it today. And so basically she's looking and she says, don't look at me, I'm dark uh, because I've worked in the sun. So she's poor, right? And so basically she says, my brothers were angry with me. They forced me to care for their vineyards so I couldn't care for myself in my own vineyard. Basically, guys, this woman, she, she had a vineyard to work in, but her brothers basically manipulated her through their anger and said, work our field, right? And so she worked the, her, their field for them as her field over there was just growing weeds and falling apart. The question is, guys, is for you, whose vineyard are you keeping? It, your job, your work, your family, ministry, your friends, relationships, they're all going to say, hey, my vineyard's the most important. Buy my vineyard, work in my vineyard, work 40 hours a week in my vineyard, steward what I've given you, right? And yet so often we sell ourselves and we get manipulated into saying, well, I want, I want them to do well. And then my vineyard's over here falling apart. And I'm talking about specifically the vineyard that is your relationship with Jesus Christ. So often, and I've even fallen into this, as, as ministers, we can get so wanting of, of people to encounter Jesus that we spend all our time praying for people, and yet we can't remember the last time we prayed and encountered Jesus. We let our vineyards die to help them. And I'm not telling you that's a good thing. That's a bad thing. <laughs> like, that's not good. But other people, we do it all the time. We're so focused on trying to help that family member, or we're so focused on trying to uh, work, or so focused on school, so focused on all these things, all these hours of distractions. We're focusing on all these things, trying to get them done, and we're never really resting. And in our vineyard, the intimacy of me and Jesus over here is dying, not because those things are bad. There's nothing wrong with, with working really hard at your job. That's a good thing. But the problem is when that now takes priority over my vineyard with Jesus, my heart, my secret place with him. So what's more important at the end of the day is, is it that I look good and I have a lot of money and I do all these things, or is it that I'm with him in my vineyard, right? Um, let me show you this. this is Genesis 2.15. In the very beginning, um, there a lot of you already know this story, is that... Adam and Eve were in the garden. God created this perfect, like this garden, and he put Adam and Eve inside of it. In this verse, it says, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. Notice it was not God's job to protect the garden. It wasn't his job to keep the garden. It wasn't his job to steward the garden. All he said is that I'm going to be in the garden, right? So God was in the garden with man. He never said, it's my job to make sure no weeds grow here. He actually said, Adam, your job is to tend and watch over it. I'll be here with you, but I'm actually giving you responsibility of this right now. And then what did man do? We, we messed it up. <laughs> like we, we went into rebellion. We fell. A lot of you guys know that story. And what happened is we had to leave the garden, right? And so then what happens is when Jesus came and when he died on the cross, he, know, he didn't create a place where we have to go to encounter God. He planted the garden inside of your heart. And he said, now this is the place 
where God will dwell with man. No longer is it this outside place that I have to do all these things and I messed up so I can't be there anymore, but now it's a place inside of our hearts, inside of our minds, inside of our bodies where the garden dwells and God is meant to walk with man once again inside of our hearts, right? The question though is he still gives you the same responsibility. Take care of the garden. Tend and watch over the garden of your heart your secret place with him, your love with him, intimacy with him. The same rule that applied to Adam is the same rule that applies to us now of God's like, I'm in your heart now, sink or swim, I'm here with you. But it's your job to tend it. Does, it, does your heart look like a swamp or does it look like a garden for the Lord to walk and live in and walk in the cool of day with you? Is your heart a garden that people can find protection in and fruit in and life in and water in? Or do they go there and they're like, dang, this place is scary. I don't want to be here right now, you know? But God's here, cool. Like, but this is scary. I don't want to be here. Like, what is your heart, the vineyard, the way you steward it? What does it look like? And, and so, The question is, are we like the Shulamite girl in this verse where we're so busy being distracted by school or work or relationships or money or, you know, that dream job I want to get or or on TV or Facebook or five hours a day watching Netflix or something, you know, is that like that where we're stewarding that vineyard? in that garden? Or are we ones who say, no, I'm going to steward my garden, me and Jesus. I'm going to do whatever it takes to protect the garden that he gave me of my heart. And so, guys, um, this, this, this totally happened to me, just like a personal story. I had a time when I Man, when I first moved back to California, I was traveling the world doing missionary stuff. And when I first came back, I was poor. I was like as poor as you can get. Like I lived off of like 600 bucks a month. And, that's, and then that's including like now pay us rent and also like all this stuff, right? So by the time it got to me, I found out I was losing money every month but I still somehow lived that way, right? I was eating top ramen. Ben knows I moved in with Ben and I was eating beans and I was eating tortillas because for 10 bucks you get 100 tortillas at the store. So I just bought 100 tortillas and I discovered, what can you eat with tortillas? And I just, that's what I lived off of. I didn't have enough money for cheese, so I bought mac and cheese and I put it in my bean burrito to make a bean and cheese burrito. Ben, he was there. I made a bean and mac and cheese burrito because I didn't have enough money for cheese. Like, like, and so this is, like I'm telling you, this is how I lived my life, okay? Like I had a mat on the floor. Everything I owned fit in a duffel bag and I would walk to work back. Like that's, that was my life. Right. And, and so what happened is then I ended up getting this, like this dream job where I was making more money than I've ever made in my life. I was working for a computer company. I was making more money than all my buddies, you know, and all this stuff. Right. And I was like, yeah, like cheese as much as I want. Like I can eat all the cheese in the world, you know, like, and basically I started like, I bought a, I got a car and I started getting all this stuff. And I thought I like made it and I did so well. And I'm like, yeah, Lord, you blessed me. But what happened is it totally, it was at six in the morning is when I clocked in and two o'clock is when I left every day. Right. And so what I didn't take into account is that I'd get up, I'd wake up and be like, oh man, what's going on? And I'd leave for work. Right. Like I didn't do anything in the morning. And so I didn't do anything with the Lord anymore. 
because I, I took the time that used to be his and I filled it with work, which wasn't bad, but I didn't replace it and make time to be with him again. And slowly but surely, it was a good thing, but slowly but surely, one day, two days, a week, a month, two months, three months later, I was severely depressed. And I was like, I have all the money I've ever had in my life, and yet I hate everything right now <laughs> because I no longer made a place for me to be intimate with the Lord. I no longer guarded a zone in my life to sit there and say, this is my time with Jesus. I no longer, and I started to totally just get in this place where I was like, I hate this. Like, I hate this. And Dominic remembers, I called him up and had one of the biggest meltdowns of my life. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? Like, I have all this money and it's still, I hate it, you know? And I realized that the reason was because I had been keeping another person person's vineyard, and I had not been keeping my own. The job wasn't bad. It was like I, I was the one where I, I didn't find time to steward the vineyard God gave me, and I let it die. And it didn't seem, it was like, you don't notice it like two days later. It's not like all of a sudden, oh man, it's like it slowly creeps up on you. And then all of a sudden, two, three months later, you're like, I don't even remember the last time I was with the Lord. Like, what happened? Like, when did that happen? You know? And, and so, this same thing I wanted to show you guys um, happened in, in the scriptures. Go ahead, go to Revelations 2, 3 to 4. So, the, this is the church of Ephesus. It's where the, Paul was writing Ephesians to, church of Ephesus, right? And so, basically, this church was a total, like, awesome church, guys. This church was one of the leading in the, in the areas for ministry. It was helping people. It was doing signs and wonders and miracles. It was prospering in almost every single way. They had withstood through persecution, and they were holy. They hated false doctrine. All these great, amazing things. And I want to show you what Jesus says to them. There's a message message that Jesus says to the church there. He says in verse three, here we go. Oh yeah, cool. Starting three and four. He says, I know your deeds, your labor, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate those who are evil, and you have tested and exposed as liars those who falsely claim to be apostles. That, sorry, that was verse two. It says, without growing weary, you have preserved and endured many things for my name, or the sake of my name. Verse four, it says, but I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. Therefore, keep in mind how far you have fallen. Repent and perform the deeds you did at first. The deeds they did at first was fall in love with Jesus, by the way. <laughs> That's like what they did, <laughs> right? Okay, but if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. This was good stuff. They were doing good things, but they were distracted by the ministry of doing all this stuff, and they had forgotten their first love. Their vineyard, they had completely forgotten, and Jesus comes to them, and he says, hey, I see your works. You're doing great. Like, there's a lot of good things you're doing. You're not sinning. You're doing a great job in life right now. You're a great church. However, you have totally forgotten me. Like, it is possible to get to heaven and be like, Jesus, look at all this stuff I did for you. And he's just like, who are you? Like, we don't even know each other. Like, I know your name, but I don't know what it's like to walk on the beach with you. Like, I know every hair on your head, but I don't really have a memory of holding your hand and walking with you because you never gave me a chance to. Like, I, I, know, I know your dreams and your desires, sure, but... I don't know what it's like to take a Saturday and just be with you because you'd never let me. 
You never gave time to be with me. The question is, guys, is God, he knows a lot of facts about you, but does, have you given the chance to know you in the sake of like a husband and his wife know each other? Sure, he knows you. He knows facts and everything about you. He knows you better than you know yourself, but does he know what it's like to take a day and go on a date with you, just you and him? Does he know what it's like? Have we given him the opportunity to know us like that? Have we cleared our schedules and said, Jesus, you're the most important thing today. What do you want to do? And just spent a day with him, right? And so Jesus comes, and what's crazy is at the end of that verse, he says, I will come to you, and I will remove your lampstand. The lampstand was the light on the hill. It was the, in the darkness, the brightness. It was the influence. It was all this stuff. It's like you're in the dark, and you look, and you're like, there's a light over there. Like, that's what the church of Ephesus was. They were in a dark world, and they were shining bright. And Jesus says, I will take that light away from you unless you give intimacy back. God, Jesus, he cares more about your intimacy with you than your influence. Jesus says he would rather remove your influence to save your intimacy than keep letting you shine and totally lose heart of him. Like, this is crazy to me, guys, that he's just like, yeah, Taylor, I love the ministry you're doing. I love it. You're doing so great, man. All, but all of that, man, if I, if I lose you in the process... Like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. I, I will actually, I'll give you a choice. You can give it, you can give it up and get your priorities straight and be with me again. But if you don't, I'm going to straight up take it from you <laughs> so that I can get you again, right? It, it's like, it, it's crazy. It's like, it, man, it, a lot of times, like, even, and I, there's natural disasters in the world. Things happen, right? And, and I don't think they're from the Lord. But I think what happens is a lot of people's priorities, they wake up because they might have lost their house. Yes, you know, and it's horrible. It's not God. It's not good. But in the moment, they wake up and they say like, oh my gosh, there's so much more to live for than this. There's so much more than that. And I think there's moments where things happen and they're taken from us and somehow our hearts turn back to intimacy. But God's like, I don't want, to I don't want that to happen for your heart to be mine. <laughs> like keep the vineyard going, right? So, let me see, sorry. The whole point is that Jesus' main priority with us, guys, is intimacy with you. And then you can influence others. Right? So first, intimacy first, influence later. Right? So he says to remove the distractions or I'll remove them for you, pretty much. <laughs> so the point in all this, and I hope that I've been trying to drill this into your heads over and over and over, is that we have to get back to this place of getting to the garden again. Would you agree? As a society, we need to wake up, stop spending nine hours a day on social media, and spend more than 30 minutes with the Lord. Like, we, something's got to change. Like, like, there's this famous quote by a guy named Letter Ravenhill, where he, he basically says, if the pastors and the people prayed as much as they played, we'd see revival. <laughs> like, like, that's crazy. Like, guys, if we, can you imagine if we spend nine hours a day in prayer? Like, I don't even know that's possible. I'd blow up. Like, but... Can you imagine if we spent nine hours a day dedicated to the Lord and 30 minutes a day on social media? Like, what would we see happen in a single generation? Like, 
what? Like, what do you think would happen? Like, like dream with me. Nine hours a day of just going after Jesus, uh, of doing the kingdom, all these things, right? And then 30 minutes, sure, 30 minutes, check your Instagram, sure. Why not? Yeah, go for it. You know, like, like but what if? What would be different in our country? Can you imagine? What, like, dream with me. If the church got their priorities right again and turned back to saying the most important thing is my vineyard with Jesus. Like, oh, what would America look like? What would the world look like, guys? And so um, there's this, basically, I just want to go three points, and then we're done, of how to get back to this place of stewarding your vineyard, okay? The, the first one is to return to the garden and focus on Jesus. So uh, St. Ignatius, he has this quote. He says, the more completely we focus our attention on our creator and Lord, the less chance there is of being distracted by other creatures. The idea is this, that there will always be distractions in our life. There will always be something. Jesus has to become the biggest distraction in the room. Basically, we sit there and we're all like, Jesus, remove the distractions, remove the distractions, remove the distractions, get rid of that, get rid of, oh, that was a bad thought, I'm sorry, God, get rid of that thought, like, oh, wait, 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 like, and we just sit there, we're trying to, like, remove all these distractions, what if we just said, okay, forget that, Jesus, you're beautiful, Jesus, you're amazing, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, oh, man, I, like, and we just, and we just, he's the biggest distraction in the room, let the other ones be there, who cares? Jesus becomes our focus, right? That's how you begin to overcome the distractions is spend time focusing on who he is, right? And so uh, this word distracted, actually, it's this word in Greek, it says perispao, okay? And it says, it literally means to be pulled into two different ways, to be drawn around, drawn away, to be driven about mentally, to be distracted, to be overoccupied, too busy about something. The picture is this, like, do you guys remember those little, those toys where the wrestlers, and you could stretch their arms really big, you know? Do you guys remember those, those stretch arm strong? Yeah, 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 right? Those guys. The picture is this, that one distraction grabbed this arm, and one got this arm, and I'm getting pulled in two opposite directions, right? This is distraction, right? That I'm supposed to be one way looking at Jesus and I am getting completely pulled and stretched in all of these other ways. This is the picture where basically he's saying you need to kill these distractions. Like you need to, whatever is pulling you, cut it off and pull it back in and focus on the one you're supposed to be with, okay? So Basically, um, we can draw near to Jesus or we will be drawn near to something else. Like, it's not, it's not like one or the, it's not like, I'm going to have a happy medium where I'm not drawn to anything or anybody. No, it's like, you will go one way or the other way. You can either run on a treadmill or stop and get thrown backwards. Like, there isn't like a, a happy, like, I'm going to stop on the treadmill and still stay in the same spot. Like, let's see how that happens. You just, like, that doesn't actually work. So you have to, we have to choose, do I continue to go after Jesus, or do I stop and get thrown back, right? And, and so this, you're gonna be drawn one way or the other. Which one do you choose, right? And, and so um, we basically need to schedule our time for Jesus, or it will get scheduled for us. Like, you got to plan your day or your day is going to plan you out, okay? Basically, like, you got to schedule, I'm going to do this, or your day is going to be like, what would I do to you, man? Like, you got to make time for him. Uh, there's this, there's, oh, where did it go? I messed it up. Let me show you this quote. Uh, 
I am totally Okay, there it is. Got it. Okay, so it says, S.D. Gordon says that the great people on earth today are the people who pray. I don't mean those who talk about prayer, those who say they believe in prayer, nor those who explain what prayer is. I mean those who actually take time to pray. They do not have time to pray. It must be taken from something else. That something else is important. It's very important and pressing. But still, it is less important and less pressing than prayer. There are people who put prayer first and group the other items in life and schedule around and after prayer. So we can either be like this, Jesus, you understand. Uh, when I find time later, I'll give it to you, right? And then that never happens, you know? Or we can say, Jesus time, everything else planned around that, <laughs> right? Like, and so what, this is how it works. Hey, dude, like pick a time with Jesus, pick a day with Jesus. Hey, man, are you busy? Like tomorrow at nine? I'm like, yeah, dude, sorry, I can't. And they're like, oh, what are you doing? I have a meeting. Sorry. <laughs> like, they don't have to know your meeting is in your room with Jesus Christ at 9 o'clock in the morning, right? Like, they don't have to know. It's the same thing as a father saying, dude, after 5 o'clock, I'm sorry. I'm booked with appointments. They don't need to know that the appointment is the dad goes home and plays Nerf guns with his kids. Like, you know, like, there's a priority that has to happen, Right? Like, you, we got to plan it out or it ain't going to happen, all right? And so, basically, where did that go? I totally, like, lost whatever that page was. I'm sorry, guys. There it is. Give me a second. So, the second thing is that we need to unplug the distraction and kill all the little foxes. You guys are like, oh, you're sick. I'm not going to kill an animal. No, let me show you this verse. Okay, Song, Song of Songs 2.15. It's okay, it's biblical. I'll show you where it's at. Okay, so it says, catch all the foxes, those little foxes, before they ruin the vineyard of love, for the grapevines are blossoming. You're like, what does that mean? So basically, the foxes here, uh, in the agricultural world, foxes were the ones, they'd go in, and they would eat the little grapes or the fruit or whatever, whatever you're having in your garden, okay? The thing is, they weren't these big old bowls that came in and stomped on everything and destroyed everything. Like, no one was afraid of that. What happened is these were the dudes, they'd get in through a little hole in the ground, little crack in the fence, little whatever it was, and then they would just eat away all the little, all the little fruits. And then you get there, and you're like, what about my garden? And you just see a little itty-bitty hole over there that a fox got in through, right? And so what she's saying, she's like, catch those little things, the little tiny things that don't seem like a big deal. They get in, they ruin your intimacy, okay? These are all those little things in your life where you're just like, eh, it's just a little bit of compromise. Like, eh, you know, like, but I love that guy. Like, sure, he's taking me away from the Lord, but you know, it's all right. Like, and then also you wake up one day and you're like, man, Jesus is nowhere. Where, what happened? You know, or like this, the other little things you're like, ah, you know, I kind of, whatever. Like I hear all the time, people are like, well, you know, and they have the craziest excuses. They're like, well, God made drugs. You know, it's from the earth. It's okay. You know, it's like a little bit of God. It's not that bad. You know, and then all of a sudden they wake up one day and their whole life's destroyed. And they're like, man, where is the Lord? What happened? And it's like, dude, because you got a hole in the fence and all these foxes are just coming on in and just eating everything, you know, or it could be a lie inside of our mind that says like, 
dude, you're a loser. No one loves you. And it's like a big old hole. And foxes are getting in and destroying your self-identity and your self-worth and who Jesus says you are. Like, there's got to be a moment where we catch the foxes and we're like, no, I will not do this anymore. Like, my intimacy with Jesus is worth more than that guy, worth more than that girl, worth more than those whatever it is, worth more than even that maybe that job that's ruining my life. Whatever is happening, there has to be a moment where we say, Jesus and then everything else. <laughs> Jesus first, everything else later. Like, and I will build a fence, I'll hire guard dogs, I'll set up little whatever it takes to make sure that these foxes and these lies don't get inside. That's what I mean when I say kill the foxes. Right? So are we are we willing to do that? What if one of the foxes is social media? Oh, right? What if it's nine hours a day, five hours a day of TV? Like, oh, kill the thing, right? <laughs> set, up, set up a healthy boundary and then enjoy it later. Like, it's right? Am I making sense here? Are we good? Okay, so this is the last point is, oh, sorry here. Protect the garden. Make time, make time with him, Okay goes underneath that last point. Sorry, I was a little off there. And then the last point is prioritize. What is the Father doing? So Jesus, in John 5, 19, he explained, he said this. He said, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So the point is, only do what you see God doing. It is so easy, especially if you're a nice person, to then all of a sudden you look and you have all these commitments, all these things you said yes to, and they're all good things. And you're like dying on every one of them (laughs) because you've spread yourself so thin, we can't do anything, right? And then we're just hating life, right? Because what happens is they can be good things, but it might not be what the Father's doing in your life. It might be something the father's doing in another person's life. So it's their responsibility to take care of that team or something like that. But it, is it what he's doing right now in your life? Right? Is that job him right now? Yes or no? Is that relationship him right now? Yes or no? Is, that, is the school him or now? Yes or no? Like you have to figure out, rather than just heaping on all these things that society or family or yourself or church or whatever says you're supposed to do, you need to stop and say, okay, God, what are you doing right now with me? And follow that. And that means that gives you the ability to say no to people. It's okay. <laughs> it is okay. It is totally okay. The Lord will bring up, he will raise up somebody else. <laughs> like it is okay, right? So it's all right. For the sake of your vineyard, do not hire yourself out to all these other vineyards only to turn around and be like, what happened to my vineyard, right? Like, it's okay to say no to those to first protect your own and then maybe do one other or something like that. So the question is, are you doing what the Father is doing? Jesus literally like contained himself and said, I'm only going to do what God's doing. Like, I'm, I'm going to look, Father, where are you at? Oh, you're over there. Okay, we'll go over there. Like, <laughs> that's how I'm going to live my life. So practically, what does this look like? Guys, if you're anything like me, you've said yes to a hundred things, and then all of a sudden you're reading them, and you're so overwhelmed, and you're like, oh, like, what do I do? Okay, stop. Take a breather. Focus on Jesus. Okay, kill all the lies, all the foxes. Okay, and then the third thing, 
is basically to see, God, I take a piece of paper and I write, what are you doing? <laughs> and I write down every single thing going on in my life. And then I say, okay, prioritize this in the top one, two, three, four of what are the most important things that God is doing right now in my life. And then you do that and you just draw a line. And anything else that made it under the line, it's like, sorry, you made it under the line. Maybe next season, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> sorry, you didn't make the team. Maybe next time, come on out next time. Try again later. Like, it's okay because I'm stewarding right now what the Lord has put in front of me. Is that cool? Does that make sense? Can you guys do that? Cool. That changed my life. I don't know. I'll take it. It changed my life. Okay, so anyway, um, I'm going to end on this story. Maybe, Danielle, could you come up? Um, there was this time, guys, where basically I was leading a team in St. Croix about a year ago. There were some of the people in here. And, um, yeah, and we, we broke up, and we just prayed, God, what are you doing today? And um, uh, this lady, Maria, and I, she's amazing. Her and I, we basically we got into this hospital. They just, like, let us in. And uh, which is cool in of itself. And we're like, can we can we pray for people? And they're like, sure, go on in, right? So we went on in, um, and then we go up to this floor, and we just start going room to room and like praying for people, right? And we we're on a tight like be back at the base at this time because the car is going to be leaving, and then we got to get food. And, and I'm the leader of the team. So I'm thinking of the ministry, but I'm also thinking of, like, we have to honor the people. We have to be back on time. Then we got to go here. It takes 15 minutes to travel there. Okay, then we got to also do this. You know, like, all this stuff, right? So I'm thinking of all these things. And we pray for this dude, and it's awesome, and it's good. And we're like, okay, great. And there's another guy sitting in the room, and we just walk right by him because I'm like, hey, Maria. It was just... Uh, I think it was her and I. Maybe there's one other person in the room. I'm not sure. But it was Skylar. Okay. So, and I was just like, okay, we got to go. And we start to leave. And then all of a sudden, Maria, because my watch is going off, Maria was like, we need to pray for that other guy. And I was like, I'm sorry, Maria, we can't. We have to go back to the base now. Because I'm thinking admin. I'm thinking all the responsibilities I got to do. I'm thinking all these things, right? And, she's, and then she stops. And she says, I really hear God. Like he's saying we have to pray for that other person. So I'm like, like, I have to either basically say, no, you're not hearing God, or I have to say, like, okay, we'll be late, you know, whatever, right? And so I stopped, and I'm like, okay, fine. All right, let's go pray for him. So we run back in, and then sure enough, this dude, he can only speak Spanish. Maria is the only person on the team who can talk to him, and she heard God say, turn around. She runs back. She starts talking to him. His first words were, I was wondering why you walked right by me and didn't stop to talk to me, and he's like, and I was hoping you would. And so, so she starts talking to him. We're translating through him, all this stuff. Earlier that morning, I had prayed, and I saw just a picture of, like, a scar, like a gnarly scar in his stomach. And I, I didn't, I was like, okay, that's weird. And so, but I kind of forgot about it. And then we're praying, and we're like, why are you, why are you in here? And he basically lifts up his, his shirt, and he's got this whole scar going down right here. And he basically says, like, I have this incredible, like, my straight-up stomach's all messed up and twirled inside of itself kind of a thing. And I'm incredible excruciating pain all the time. And we said, are you in pain right now? He said, absolutely. Like, I'm in so much pain. We basically ask him, are you Christian? And he says, no. He says, I heard about Jesus when I was a kid, and that was it. So we say, do you have time? Can we share with you? And Maria talks to him and shares the whole gospel with him. And the guy totally, he's like tattooed up and all this stuff. He's kind of a gnarly looking guy. And he totally just kind of starts tearing up and starts crying. And he says, I've never been, like, offered this before. And so we pray for him, and we, we say, oh, do you want Jesus in your life? And he says, yeah, absolutely. He receives the Lord. And then we pray for the Holy Spirit to come and fill him. 
it, you could see his face. I don't know how, because he wasn't mad, but it was like his whole countenance, everything changed. And all of a sudden he was like, everyone said, how do you feel? And he says, I, I feel more peace than I've ever felt in my entire life. He said, I've never felt like this before. And then we say, hey, how's your stomach? And all of a sudden he stops and he's like, I haven't even been thinking about it. And then he, he looks and he's like, I, I don't have any pain in my stomach. He said, they put me on Vicodin and I, and I still feel pain. Like I'm, I, they have me in here all the time on, on the strongest pain reliever and I still feel pain. And I'm like, they have to put me out sometimes because I just like, I'm screaming. And he, and he says like, I don't, this is the first time I haven't felt anything in months. And all of a sudden, and he starts, and then he sits up, and we're like, whoa, and he totally sits up, and he, like, looks around, and he just gets up out of his hospital bed, and he's like, I don't need to be here anymore. <laughs> and we're like, are you, what's, are you, like, chill out. <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm going to go. And he starts to, like, walk, and we're like, wait, 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 we should probably get a doctor, like, make sure you're good. And he's totally like, you guys prayed for me. I'm good. Like, you know, and, and he basically, he was fully healed. He gave his life to the Lord. And then he started smiling and like laughing. And he like gave me a huge hug, called me his gringo brother. It was cool. And he gave me a huge hug and, and basically said, thank you so much. And we gave him the, the basically contact to a local church, all this stuff, right? This man had gone, he was like in his mid-30s. He'd gone like 30-something years without the Lord. He'd gone years in pain, all this stuff, waiting right there. And I was distracted because of I had to be there on time and because of my admin and because of all the, my responsibilities. And I, and I left with such a fear of the Lord. It was a healthy fear of like, oh God, like, thank you. Like, thank you for not letting us miss that one. Like, we almost missed it because I was distracted. And I'm so thankful that Maria heard God say, stop and turn around and go back. Because this man, he got healed, set free, and met Jesus for the first time in his life. Because we were willing to see the distraction, move it out of the way, and say, okay, what Jesus, Father, where are you going right now? Like the team's going that way, but Father, where are you going right now? And so guys, just to kind of summarize is I think we, even as Christians, we have become so distracted by life, by work, by jobs, by relationships, school, college, you name it. The list goes on and on. And they're all sometimes good things. And yet we've become distracted and we forgot. And we gave basically an unworthy idol the position of Jesus in our life. And, and God's in the, he's, he's in the business of knocking those things over and putting himself back in the center again. And so I really think that we need to do whatever it takes to get back to the garden, to kill those foxes, those things that try to distract us, and basically to only do what the Father's doing. I think that is the only way to steward your vineyard and make sure that it stays in a healthy state with the Lord. And you won't regret it. You won't. You might, the other way, you might wake up in 30 years and be like, I wish I gave more time with Jesus. But you're never going to wake up and say, I wish I gave Jesus less time. <laughs> like, that will never happen. You will never wake up and say, I wish I didn't spend as much time in prayer. <laughs> like, like, spend time with him. And so, guys, this song's on now. She's going to sing a little bit. And I want you guys to make it personal and ask. It's about nine o'clock, so you guys will be leaving in a moment. 
But take a moment, and I want you to ask a couple questions to the Lord. So just close your eyes. You can lay on the ground or sit or do whatever you need to do to get comfortable. And just see Jesus again, like what Danielle was doing earlier, the visualization, whatever it was. Just see him, see him sitting there. See him looking at you. That big old smile on his face. And just ask him, ask him, can you show me what my vineyard looks like? What does my garden look like? The one that we share, what does it look like?